What's going on, guys and gals? My name is Chris Tondewald, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where we try and find people that have found that balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. This week, we have Dan Wolf, singer-songwriter and lead vocals of the Muddy Crows out of D.C. This was my first time meeting Dan and couldn't have gone better. We talk about his life growing up a bit his unconventional start in music, and all the little things you forget about when you're creating a band like websites, names, and branding. I had a blast talking to him, so I hope you dig it. You can catch Dan July 26th at Solly's on U Street in D.C. and July 27th at Denizen's Brewing in Silver Spring. For all his other upcoming dates, check out Dan Wolf with two Fs, music.com slash tour. I'll have all the links in the show notes. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcast. Follow me on Spotify and subscribe on Google Play or however you get your podcast. Thank you for everything. Here's the show. Enjoy. I'm going through everything, and I take him home. That first two months, I was on two different allergy medicines, just trying to survive because my eyes were all water. I couldn't stop sneezing. My arms, I remember going, uh, driving, and my arms were just hived over. Oh. It was just bumps fucking everywhere. And every once in a while, I'll get to that point, but now I'm more, way more used to them and all that stuff, okay. right? So it's fine. And uh, I, that first two months, it was, it was just like fucking hell. Do they have like a return policy? I thought thing? about it. I, th- <laughs> I, I, I really thought about it, and I was like, fuck, if I can't. I, he's been in a foster home for four years. I can't just take him and then be like, nah, I can't do this. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I hear people say things like that, and they're like, yeah, but you saved them from being in a foster place for like that extra time. Yeah, sure. Which, like, but, also maybe he would have been put down. Like, I don't know. Like, if, right. if he had stayed there longer, like, they'd have been like, sorry, we can't keep him. He mauled another dog or, like, a... Right. So, I don't... I don't... I don't know. It was... It was both dumb on my part. <laughs> and then also, uh, I was so mad at it. And then I was just like, all right. So, after the two months, I started weaning myself off of the, the medication. And I was like, oh, I, okay. Now I can breathe. Yeah. And then every once in a while, like, just the three days ago... I just had a spurt of just, like, vomiting through my eyes, basically. And it was just so much liquid. It was all these sneezes. I must have got a dog hair in my nose or yeah. something. And just, I I, I couldn't recover. Man. I'm at I'm at work. And uh, so my boss is, is on vacation for two weeks. And I'm at work. And I'm in charge of my whole store. And I'm just in the office just like, oh. Dude, I'm just gonna cry. Like I'm just gonna go in the the office, shut the door, <laughs> and just stay in the cold. That way, I don't overheat. The whole it was, ugh. it's a whole uh, it's a whole thing, and it was yeah, it was not good. Um, but yeah, it took me it took me two months just to get like to a place where I can like lay down with him and and do that without having to worry about anything else. The the pains that people go through. Yeah, yeah. So the, the dedication is real. Um, I don't really... Every time he, like, gets out of line, every time he begs for food that he shouldn't be begging for or tries to wake me up at 6 o'clock every goddamn morning, I look at him and I was like, you were this close to getting put back. 
in the foster care, and I hope that you fucking realize this. <laughs> How old is, do you think he is? Seven. How old do they usually live? Like ten? Uh, like yeah. yeah, I got a few years left. Uh, so I would I would venture to say he's probably going to live to about 11 or 12. Okay. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. Um, what I also didn't realize when I first got him is he's a pit bull mix. And then I didn't realize how hard of a job or how hard of a time I would have to find a house. So in Maryland, it's very breed restrictive mm. to rent. And I didn't really want to buy a house because I, so I was working. Well, can't you just say what the other half of him mix is? Yeah. If I knew what it was. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he looks like a hound, so I can, I can probably go along with that. But if they, sometimes they actually ask for the vet documents. Oh, so they do like a DNA test, figure it out. They can. Um, I'm not paying for it, but, but they can. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like you'd be like, oh, he's a freaking, I don't know. I don't even know what kind of a hound dog he would look like. But. I don't know. He's he points and shit too, which always threw me off. Like he he almost has like a if his head wasn't so goddamn big, I would I would say that he's he's like a almost bloodhoundish or like pointer dog, like one of one okay. of those pointer hounds cuz he'll go in the yard and then he'll he'll point like he'll hmm. be really sturdy and straight for a second and point at something and then he just started the first year that I had him, he didn't really bark at all. And then now that he's been in the crate, he just started barking more and more and more. Oh, fun. Yeah. So he only <laughs> at does seven it. years old. He learned to bark. Yeah. He, he was fucking quiet the entire time. Yeah. And now he's just a, a big pain in my ass. And I have a cat and I think that's also what triggered it. Cause I just got the cat like March of last year. Okay. And, um, she's nice. Um, she wakes up at five thirty. Oh, good. Before I got an automatic feeder. And then now she's just fat and still yells at me. Yeah. So that's that's a whole thing. Yeah, I think I'm really more of a cat person. Not in that I like cats better, but like as a personality, I think I'm a cat. She's Where I'm like, I want to be left alone until I don't for like 10 seconds and now I'm done with it again. Yeah, so she will basically leave you alone for the long time yeah. and then gets super affectionate, super quick, and will not let you be. Right. And when that happens, she tries to jump on my bed where the dog is already laying, and the dog just goes after her. And I, I can't keep him at bay, and it's fucking annoying. Yeah. So that's, that's my whole life. Huh. And kind of like a nutshell. You're, you're like a Dr. Doolittle. Or- Broken. Yeah, for broken. Yeah, because she was, so, she came from a house that had a big Great Pyrenees puppy. Yep. So those big polar bears. My parents bears. have one. Yes. He weighs like a buck 65. It's a big boy. Yeah. And yeah. he would chase her around and banish her into the basement. So she could never get along with another, like, really other animal. And then just Elliot, my dog, won't bother her if she doesn't come close to the bed so it actually works out pretty well to where they they won't really fuck around with each other too much and it that's great but as soon as they get within like two feet of each other it's just like yeah i'll tell you what the great pyrenees that my parents have has a weird quirk which is he likes to be we have so all of our animals are outdoor because we live on a farm Mm -hmm. and uh so he i mean he loves the winter. He loves being out in the cold because it's the only time of the year where he is like 
himself, where he has like a normal temperature regulation. Like he's not Ohio's not super hot, but he's not set to be like a a summer dog, right? Uh, so he loves being in the winter, but he always picks a cat, one of like twenty cats. He picks one, and that's the one that's allowed to crawl up on him and like stay warm. Really, the rest of them no. He'll do that. He'll share the food with that one, but that's it. He has a friend. <laughs> and only one friend. And in one case, that cat, I think it got hit on the road or something Something happened. It died. Oh, no. So he picked a new one. And then he had a new friend, like one that he was not friends with before. So he's always picking just one. Yes. He's okay. like, oh, you've been promoted to friend. And now, now you can cuddle on me. Now, that I think there were some times when they were like in the winter when it gets real cold that all the kittens will come up like sure. and, and then he's like, okay with it. But in general, like he's like the stay away uh, except for this one. What was the Star Wars creature? The one, uh, not the one that they cut up, but the one that he fought in the, uh, oh man. I'm not going to know the name. Don't worry, don't worry about it. It's just that big, <laughs> like, uh, abominable snowman yeah. looking guy. That's what it sounds like he is, and he just brings out one friend. Yeah. And like, here, just lay within my warmth. You'll yeah. be all right. What did you ever see? It was like the, the Bugs Bunny cartoon. Uh, or like Looney Tunes, not Bugs Bunny, but like where there's the big gray bulldog. Yeah. And he's like trying to protect this little cat and save it from, I don't know, the cat keeps like trying to walk off a cliff, like whatever. And he just keeps Whatever cats it. do. Yeah. yeah. And he's like freaking out. He's trying to protect the little cat. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's what, this dog's name is Gus. I think that's what Gus is doing. That's adorable. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know if it's, there's a, we're not sure if it's Augustus. Or Guster is actually his name. Everyone calls him Gus. I always said it was short for disgusting because <laughs> he, he's he got that long hair and he just smells like a, like he lives on a farm. Well, he does, right? He, I mean, he right. does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, he earns it, but like... Great Pyrenees are weird too because if you don't take care of them, like it sticks in that hair. Oh, yeah. it's in the Even like outside the main hair you feel when you cut down and it's like a wool. There's like a... It's thick. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, they have that undercoating down. They basically have down like a duck. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's I, all bad. I liked, I liked my friend's dog, but he always thought that he was a lap dog. So, he would always come up. Like, every time that I would be at the house, he would just literally just jump on the couch with me. And I was like, you're a whole other person. Get off <laughs> of me. What part of Ohio are you from? Uh, between Cleveland and Columbus. I live in a, uh, I, or I grew up in a small farm town in the middle of nowhere. Nice. I got some, uh, my stepdad's family is Kent, not Kent Island. That, that's not right. Somewhere in Cleveland. Okay. And now I forget what the island is. There's Kelly's Island. Kelly's Island. That's it. There's like a church camp and some old school Indian carvings and a small airport. Yeah. So they live, they live on Kelly's Island. Okay. Part of them. Uh, I had to go there for a funeral year ago um and it was the first time that i was on a ferry yeah and that's that was really really weird i i've been okay a couple times i got pretty sick one time really it's like a real rough day yeah i didn't think i ever got seasick i was like i'll be fine and then it's like it just hits you all of a sudden yeah it's not like you can be strong and overpower it it's like you're you get sucker punched right right and now you're like well now i i'm just gonna lay here and you're yeah, yeah yeah there's nothing you can do with it but yeah, I know Kelly's Island well. Yeah, so that that's nice. Um, what brought you to D.C. then? Uh, I got a job. I got a job in 2009, and I moved down here uh, kind of from school. And I pretty much have lived in Silver Spring the whole time. 
So I've changed jobs as everybody does. It's the government, and I'm a federal contractor. But but yeah, it's been a uh, that's been maybe less interesting than the music scene. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit, I would say so. When did you start playing music? Were you playing on the farm? Well, yeah. My parents, I, like, I remember when I was a kid, my parents always sang for weddings, like, not in a professional sense, not in an Adam Sandler <laughs> wedding singer sense, but they sang for, like, people's weddings, and, and they always had us singing in church. And then I think I got a guitar when I was 18. My dad bought me a guitar and then went off to college, took that guitar and started playing more and more. I didn't really start playing really uh, certainly not getting paid to play until sure. I moved down here, but um, I played like open mics and things for people, and I went to school in, in Ithaca, and so I did like a lot of the open mics in Ithaca, and then when I moved down here, I was just trying to make some recordings, and I met some people on Craigslist that were going to play some instruments for me, and somehow we decided, you know what, we should actually take this show on the road. Nice. And, I mean, the road, usually in within a driving distance of an yeah, evening, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, we... So you got actually started pretty late then, compar- so. comparatively, right? Most people, I feel like, start, um, you know, like they, they take guitar lessons or something when they were a kid. And I, I don't know, in like the 90s growing up, it wasn't cool to be into music. Like, it wasn't cool to be a dude in choir. It wasn't cool to no. be like, I mean, it certainly wasn't cool to be like, I played trombone in, in junior high and high school, but like that wasn't cool. Right. Uh, I, mean, I guess it's still probably not cool, but in hindsight, you look back and you see the value and all that. And yeah, uh, I, I mean, you can. There's there's a difference between playing like grunge music, right, in the '90s, and playing rock and oh, roll. And well, then, it's cool. It's always been cool to be a rock star. But yeah, like, but it's cool. not cool to take lessons when you're a kid. I played sports. You know, I had, I don't know. I took a different path, and it took me a while to get back to it. What drew you to it? Um. I think probably trying to get girls. <laughs> I don't know. I my dad, my sister played piano, and okay. he said he would pay her twenty dollars if he if she learned to play the theme to Peanuts. You know, like the Charlie Brown. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. And uh, I felt that was unfair because I had no way to earn twenty dollars <laughs> as a kid. And he said, "Well, I'll teach you to play banjo, and you need to learn to play Amazing Grace." And uh, I tried to learn to play banjo. I learned some chords and I could play, but uh, I found that I didn't see that as being like an instrument that I could do much with because right. at the time everyone was listening to like Three Doors Down. They weren't listening to like Ralph Stanley. Right. Uh, so I, I realized that it wasn't very applicable. And I definitely can play Amazing Grace on the banjo, and I think he still owes me $20. <laughs> but... but uh, I don't think I ever collected on that. And so he had a guitar, and I kind of tried to play it, but there was a banjo, basically like four strings and a drone string, yeah. five strings. I started playing his guitar, and it turns out his guitar was like really warped and sucked. Uh, so that's probably why I felt like, this is way harder. Yeah. I mean, there's, now there's an extra string, but also it just, and it didn't sound good. And I wasn't, so it wasn't until I was 18, I think my mom told him he had to buy me a guitar, and he didn't want to because he thought I'd never use it. Because he saw me not play banjo, right. saw me not play guitar, and then yeah, I pretty much never put it down. I feel like banjo is a, the hardest one to get started with. Yeah, a because it, it's that same thing that you're 
telling you or talking about there's there's no exposure for anybody that's playing it no like if there's if you're no not opportunity yeah and if you're not in an area that does like bluegrass or like legit folk music and you're not part of that scene there's really no exposure that you're ever going to have to a banjo no except for the dueling guitars or the dueling yeah. banjos right that's it yeah fortunately uh i mean i still my so my dad plays banjo pretty well and i have a brother who plays probably even better now um and i have another brother and we all between mandolin guitar and banjo can play a little bit of everything Mm -hmm. so we actually a couple eh, maybe once a year a couple times a year we get together and we've actually had paid gigs where we go and play like a bunch of old bluegrass stuff which is pretty easy especially on guitar because you need to know three chords because all bluegrass songs are pretty much the same uh and so we we have that, but certainly not like a hundred gigs a year playing banjo. Right, right. I don't know where you would go to do that. Like maybe if you were a busker and you had like a West Virginia. I don't know. Yeah, maybe like yeah. real Appalachian. West Virginia, Kentucky, maybe. I don't know. In Southern Maryland, where I'm, where I'm at, there's we do a bunch of different uh, bluegrass festivals okay. down there. Um, so that that scene is definitely there. And but, but is there something that they like? Do they play every weekend? Uh, that's the thing. Those guys, they the just get part. together no, in their yeah. garage. And, yeah. Because yeah. that's the thing. To keep a band together and to sound tight, Like you have to play a lot of gigs and basically pay people. Right. And if you're going to play like one festival a year, you're going to not have a band to keep up. I'd love to play banjo more in the band. I just haven't really found a need for it in what I do. And also, I don't know that many chords. So. <laughs> um, the good thing about banjo, though, actually, for starters, is that on your for your left hand... Uh, it's banjo or yeah, banjo is tuned to open. It's an open chord. Okay. So you really just need to bar up the neck to play all your major chords. So you, there's not much movement. So there's it. not a lot of movement. The the downside of the banjo is on the right hand, you have to finger pick a lot and that's right. the harder skill to pick up. So I think I, I would definitely say I am, as a guitar player, even now, I'm not very good with my left hand. Uh, I'm much better like arpeggiating and sure. quick little runs with my right hand. But if I have to do a lot with my left hand, it's just nothing I ever really yeah and learned. I've I tried playing, so I've I've been learning for the past year, year and a half, and I don't know how my pinky still works with it, <laughs> and it just always gets in the way. Like my okay. first, my my three uh, my index my. Uh, Middle of my ring finger are fine. I can put those in whatever position yeah. that I want to. My pinky just won't get out of the way or do anything productive. And it's the <laughs> fucking worst. I hate it so much. And then it just locks up. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you're, I'm going to be the asshole that just makes everything not work. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I remember having those issues. And I don't remember. I think it was just over time it learned dexterity. Yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely remember playing everything with three fingers. I mean, like with a G chord, do you play like... With your first and second string, with your two fingers uh-huh. like that, can you get that one down? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, it's like really learning to play like the C chord and add that G on the first string. Right. Or like do your hammer-ons on the D chord when your fingers are already mashed into a tiny little triangle. <laughs> right. And you're like, now I'm gonna make it. <laughs> yeah. I, that I know. Yeah, guitar has been interesting. Um... When I started playing, my dog would come up and lick my hand until I stopped playing. 
That way, I just... Because it sounded painful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, now he just looks at me with the stain from the bed while I play. Well, do you think that's actually a compliment on your no, playing? He, he doesn't <laughs> find it as painful. He's not like, please stop. He's I like, think, well, yeah, I yeah, guess... Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you, I'm not going to ask you to stop. It's not great, but it's... I can listen. Right. And I do it in spurts now, so it's it's okay. He doesn't he doesn't look at me for an hour and be like, mm, 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 right. we're not doing this anymore. Um, that's funny. How did you so the the band that you started forming when you got here yeah. was that the one that you have now or hmm, yes. Uh in, in certainly the personnel has changed. I think the idea has stayed the same. Or at least we've changed it together. So yeah, I, I met a keyboard player named Steve Mead on Craigslist. I always joke that that's how like modern stories all start. Yeah. Right. Like it used to it used to start uh, like in a galaxy far, far away, or or you know like in reality the stories uh, many years ago or whatever. Now it's I was on Craigslist and this thing <laughs> happened. That's how stories start. <laughs> Uh, once upon a time, I was on Craigslist. Uh, but And through him, I met uh, a bass player named Eric Grabo. They were playing in another band at the time. And I didn't know it at the time. The reason that Steve, I think, was looking on Craigslist was because he was. they knew their band was falling apart. Mm-hmm. And he was. they were looking for other projects. I was just looking to do recording. I didn't. I still got stage fright and didn't really want to sure. do that thing. I think I was like Elliot Smith and just real awkward, stare at the floor and do your thing <laughs> quietly and then try to get out. And... Um, I, I got with I started playing with those two guys to record an album, and they ended up being more involved with the band for longer. So they ultimately didn't show up on the record like I would have liked. But um, it was right after I finished that project that their band actually collapsed. Oh wow! And they reached out and said, "Hey, uh, we didn't actually do that project, but do you want to be in a band? Because we need a singer and we have the rest of a band." And so I said yes, and that we needed to find a new drummer, though. And new. So, you know, it took like two years to really get a group of people together. A lot of Craigslist ads. Um, and I didn't know enough people really to do like the word of mouth thing. You know, sure. Like, go yeah. to an open mic sometimes. Um, and, you know, there are good people at open mics, but I feel like usually those are like the singers of the band trying to play. Right, and trying to get their own music and, out. And they're, yeah, they're not looking to like, they're Try not to the, play your songs. So. Yeah, they're not the support you, pieces that yeah, you need. Yeah, you meet the wrong kind of people. Uh, and so I didn't really have that network, and I was slowly building it out. And so anyway, from Craigslist, we built a band. Uh, we called ourselves the Dream City Band for a while. Okay. Which um, I found it in like a farmer's almanac that that's what they called DC at the one point Dream in time. Dream City? Yeah, and they did that because DC was like a cool acronym. But like the other things that they were using was like were, were things like District of Criminals or District of Crime. And, right. And so in the same way, you, do you know that Baltimore is called the Charm City? Yep. They just made that up. That's not like a thing that's not rooted in much. They were just There's like... not much charm there. They just they thought Crime City didn't have the ring, so they went with Charm <laughs> City. Right. Um, and, and D.C. or somebody at least was trying to push this idea of the Dream City being D.C. And so we went with the Dream City band. Uh, and I thought that was cool. Um but it turns out when you Google that, there's just a lot. You get a lot of random things, right? Dream sure. City. The, the words weren't unique. So uh, at some point, we decided to rebrand, purchase. I think it, we didn't even have a website at the time. So we decided to purchase a website, do all that. And we started looking for band names. And I like the idea of um, the distinctive 
article the and then an adjective and a noun. Okay. Um, you know, like the Rolling Stones, for right. example. Uh, I liked that. I thought it sounded distinctive and maybe sophisticated in some way. Uh, but the problem was we were looking to s- figure out what did we want to be, and we kicked around a lot of things. Um, the rusty buckets, the muddy boots. Uh, we did a bunch of things, but I had always wanted to be the Crooked Crows. I don't know why. I thought it sounded like a band name that like I would have heard of. Uh-huh. But when I, and so I thought it would be cool, but I Googled it, and I found out that there was already a Crooked Crow band in D.C., Really, they, they were like a uh, like a death metal band, sure. or something. and I I was really concerned that as a singer songwriter, their fans might show up at my shows and be very disappointed, or mine at theirs, and similarly be confused. So uh, we didn't go with that, but we combined some of those the adjective noun combinations and came up with the muddy crows. And when we Googled it, we got zero results, and we said, "Perfect, that's uh, yeah. our band name." Perfect. Uh, so we we were able to get the domain, and I think we have like. We got all the variations, right? So we have Muddy Crows, The Muddy Crows. Uh, we might even have like, T- I don't think we have TMC.com, but we have a couple different combinations. TMC um, is also a, a TV station. Oh, yeah, Turner Classic Movies. Or so I'm sure TCM, we don't have that one. Right. Or, yeah, it's, Whatever. Same thing. Yeah, close enough. Um, but yeah, we have, uh, so we, we, we were able to get a domain name that worked. And honestly, when we like, talk to people like we just asked our friends about it and they all said the same thing which was isn't that already a band it sounds like it, it right? sounds like it was yeah and we're black like, crows this is money crows yeah there's so many crows cheryl crow right um <laughs> so so we went with it what we have found though is the limitation to that name which is that when you say it from the stage the muddy crows the word muddy is in itself like a muddy word to say through the mic. Yeah. And so people think you're the money, like dollar bills, uh, crows, or, or they don't know what you said. Or the muffy crows. Yeah, the or, muffy, or, yeah okay. And so they, we do have that problem. Yeah. So we bought signs to put behind us. That's and cute. I, so now I'm just always like, we're the muddy crows, as the sign says. <laughs> uh, because that made it easier. Um, and we've been, we've been billed, though, as so many things because I don't think that it doesn't really make sense to be like some kind of a muddy bird. Uh, so people think we're the muddy cows sometimes, and they assume the R is a typo. So we've definitely played under banners that say muddy cows, or we've been the muddy crow, or we've been the muddy crows with a Russell Crow ES spelling oh, at the funny. end. that's uh, funny. It's an old we, English been, crow. Yeah, yeah, the old English crow. We've been pretty much everything. Uh, so it turns out, like, while that name did serve a lot of purposes, that there were definitely some drawbacks. Uh, also, I think... Having the word the at the beginning, I never considered that it makes it tough to like post about it. Yeah. So when you want to say like, come out tonight and see the, the Muddy Crows, because like the Muddy Crows is the band name, but now you have to leave off that article. Yeah. You don't want to say the, the Muddy Crows. Right. It's weird because you, you don't think about that stuff when you're first forming. There's so much little stuff that you have to figure out about like marketing and. Oh, yeah, yeah, which is all garbage. We can deviate on that for a second. That's the other thing for bands. Uh, and certainly finding a unique band name is important because now, I mean, there used to be MySpace and we had one. but <laughs> Top eight, yeah. But, but, I mean, I think most bands now try to use like a Bands in Town. They have a Facebook. They have an Instagram. They have a Twitter. They have a website. Um, you know, We use Reverb Nation. They use uh, Sonic Bids, SoundCloud. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, I'm forgetting some, I'm sure, but I think you're probably using 8 to 12 different social media sites to try to connect to people in those Which accounts. Which is insane, yeah. And I, I feel bad when I see bands that 
they don't all match. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, if you're like the Muddy Crow band on Instagram, but we're just the Muddy Crows on Twitter and we're TMC on Facebook. Right. And I can't even match with my podcast name because oh, there's... I didn't mean to call you out. Yeah, well, <laughs> there's a, there's a EDM internet radio station okay. for ambitionradio.com. It's based out of like London or something. So when I first went to try and get it, I couldn't, I had to get a .net and then I had to, I forgot that that was still a website yeah. that I had and that kind of lapsed. So now I don't have a .net. It's I, just US, right? Yeah, okay. I have a .us, which I like a lot more because it deviates between the, the actual dumb sure. radio station and, and the what dumb I'm, one and what yeah, you're doing. Yeah, the dumb right. one, right. Sure. Um, but like I had to figure out the different handles that I would have and I want to, I want to be able to cross platform the same handle and you can't, it's right. really weird. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was able to get it. Fortunately, well, I, I wanted Dan Wolf for my own stuff to be the same, Isn't but Dan Wolf is so com- I mean, like it doesn't Wolf with two F's is a little uncommon, but there's enough of them that they had most of yeah, the law and order ones. one, right? They're Dick Wolf. That's Dick Wolf. Dick Wolf. Okay. Yeah, Uncle Dick. We call him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, no so relation. When you first started playing music, what were you writing about? Because you went through this this whole life of banjo yeah. farm. You're just starting to write stuff in college, right? Yep. So what? It, where did you draw inspiration from for guitar playing, and then also lyrics and kind of the stuff that you were thinking about? Yeah. Did you ever watch One Tree Hill? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I was hoping you were going to say no, and then I was going to be like, me neither. Uh, <laughs> but if I if I had, um, I got, I, the, I think his character was Chris Keller, but it was Tyler Hilton, was like a kind of reoccurring character. Okay, so it's not one of the main ones. No. I, I remember the, the two, they were basketball players, I think, right? Yeah. And then the hot brunette that had like this raspy Sophia Bush yeah I mean but, I don't know yeah yeah, yeah. but I don't she, know where... she's been smoking cigarettes for 50 sure. years and she's only 19 yeah something like that yeah I, I remember that one um yeah. that's he, so funny. he was for for anyone that tunes in and is trying to figure it out he at one point after Nathan and Haley I want to say were married sure. I think that was the girl's name he was like the the person that came in and like took her away was like i'm taking you on tour because we're gonna do this whole music thing and that's why i didn't even know that was a thing that happened that's why yes yes well because i think actually that show did a really good job of uh of pulling musicians that weren't uh they weren't like popular yet but they were up and coming uh because i think like pete wentz from fallout boy was on it really um like it just maybe like one time but he was there yeah, for but a while. still, uh, Kate Vogel came out of that show, which is probably not so much well known. And actually, I know that name though. The okay. Haley girl, Haley Joy Lens Gagliotti. I think she got remarried, but um, like several different people ended up having music careers uh, that either were trying when they got on the show or really or after. And I always thought that that was a really good example of a show that really leveraged, like I feel like, did good things for its people. Um, so you weren't just watching for the drama, you were watching for the music. I was watching for the music. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's exactly why. Um, but I don't know why we got on that, except, oh, because I was listening to Tyler Hilton, and at the time they had AOL sessions. Okay. Um, and those AOL sessions that were being recorded and released were sort of like acoustic releases of people's songs. And he did a lot of the, um, I don't know, he, he arpeggiated kind of, he played with his fingers, and it wasn't like finger picking. It wasn't like the banjo, but it was 
a little cross between where it wasn't just straight like boom chick boom chick sure. strumming. It was it was something a little more interesting. So I like I learned to play like that, and I then I think I learned to listen to John Mayer a little bit, and I started hearing how he did that percussive slap, mm-hmm. unlike um, Heart of Life, Stop This Train. Um, and where he like kind of hits the strings like with his thumb, and it gets a slap, and kind of re- replicates like a snare drum uh, on the two and the four. And so I, I really like that. And so I kind of put the two things together, and I started. I just wrote music. I wrote like I had these chords that I thought, oh, this kind of sounds good together. And over time, I wrote songs. And when I first re- wrote them, like I look back, some of them are okay. Some of them are. <laughs> I don't want to say like not stuff I knew about, but they were like. I don't know. It's like cotton candy. Like you right. can only eat so much of it, uh, and it, it's like fluff. It it doesn't mean it means something, but it doesn't really mean anything. And it's you're just, just like a sweet, sweet it's boy. It's like lovey right? dovey, yeah. lovey dovey. Yeah, like yeah. it's not. It didn't mean anything. Uh, one of those days, I think it was the first song I ever wrote, and I think that one is still one that I stand behind, and we still play it live. But a lot of them uh, went through some lyrical changes. <laughs> I think before uh, or at least in their current configurations, have undergone some lyrical changes to sort of hide some of the things where you think, was this what, at 19, I thought this was a cool <laughs> thing to write? Uh, I I heard Ben Folds give an interview once, and he talked about basically doing the same thing, which was like it wasn't cool. I don't know, he didn't know how to be cool when he was like 19, yeah, so he yeah. wrote wrote stuff that he he's like, I never speak like that. That wasn't me. That was just me trying to d- replicate what I thought you were supposed to do. Right. I think it's hard when you first start out trying to find your own voice. And that's with yeah. any kind of writer that you're, you're want to sound cooler than what you are. Sure. I then, still want to sound yeah. cooler than that. <laughs> and then <laughs> I think the, yeah, I think the other big thing too is trying to figure out what words you actually use and be as true to yourself as possible. And you can you can feel that with a lot of the music that's out there. So with pop music, it's very generic for the most mm-hmm. part, right? It's very difficult to find those pop musicians that actually have unique stories and unique lyrics built into them. But when you get that, hey, that that's actually more personal and it's a bigger, more fervent fan base on there. But it's so generic when you get to the upper echelons of just radio play. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's so tough to try and break out of that mold. It is too. tough, yeah. And I think I went through that too. Uh, I think a really good example you, you mentioned, like using words that you use or something. I I have a song um, where one of the lyrics is, well, originally it was supposed to be, "What if I still hurt without you? What if I still hurt without your touch or something?" Sure. Or burn without your touch or something. And uh, I didn't. I it didn't. I don't know. It didn't seem cool. It just seemed like these <laughs> words. But I, I'll be honest. I was watching the show Spartacus at the time, mm-hmm. and I noticed that they said things like, "We could fly, like uh, absent our wings or something." Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I always thought saying "absent" in that context like was weird. So now the line is, "What if I still? What if I still hurt without you? What if I still burn absent your touch?" And I. I don't speak like that. That's like very right. old English or something. Right. Um, but I, I found that it like it turned. It made it a little bit interesting because it wasn't exactly what people would expect. But the words it's make a little sense. bit of a flair in there, right? Yeah. And I, I now I actually try to look for. I don't want to say it exactly the pop generic way. Mm-hmm. Um, I want I I want to phrase it in a way that's new. Um, 
and different. And sometimes I invent words because I need something that fits. Uh, my, my favorite one that I invented, though, I mean, I think it's serious. It, I laugh, but uh, it's, um, I, I say, oh, I talk, I'm talking about blowing smoke rings uh, in the dark. Okay. And I, I say, like, halouettes of my breath slowly fading away. Oh, that's away. cute. <laughs> oh, okay, cute. <laughs> but, like, like little halos that are, like, floating uh, yeah. and, and I, I don't know. Haloette is not a word. No, um, but it, it works. Like, right. I, I like it. I it, like, cause and, you, and you know what it is. It's a little yeah. halo, but it, it, uh, yeah, it know. makes you, it makes you automatically think that it's probably more lighter, angelic and nicer yeah. than what it could be. It's just some dude blowing smoke rings in the right. Basement of his mom's house. Yeah, and yeah, so like the whole the whole line is like uh, how absurd to mouth words into smoke rings, haloettes of my breath slowly fading away. Um, man, when you don't sing it, I lose track. Um, <laughs> but they carry my feelings. Uh huh. Um, I don't know. Anyway, it, it talks about basically like oh, just in case there's a place where my thoughts can be heard, I pray my breath ascends to safely carry my words as they escape through the ceiling. Okay, uh, and I. It was sort of like the idea of, um, I mean, I grew up religious, and I am still religious, religious, but uh, I don't, um, I've, I've never been like, I don't know, I don't, I don't pray a lot, and I thought that the idea of like being in a broken place, and being, uh, and like, and I have been in those situations where like, I, I'd never really smoked either, but I would go out and I would just like try to smoke and blow smoke rings and just yeah. like try to calm yourself down. And like being in that broken place and like blowing smoke rings, like little angel halos that are floating through the ceiling or to yeah. the sky and like in the form of some kind of a prayer that you're not sure if it's going to be answered, I thought had a, had a cooler vibe. But I invented a word. I like it. To make it work. So when you... Someone once told me they thought I said silhouettes of my breath, and I was like, oh, that would have been easier than inventing the <laughs> I'm like, why didn't I think... There's literally already a word that almost... There's a different connotation. It's yeah, less like heavenly yeah, sounding, but I was like, yeah, yeah you know what? That would have... I think, I think you hit the, the nail on the head on what you were trying to say, so you're, you're okay with that. But it does... Yeah. You always... It, when you have someone looking on the outside going in, and they're just like, why didn't you just do that or say that? And I'm like, well... You weren't there. Yeah. You don't know what I was doing. I had to make a whole new word. Right. Where were you? And secretly, you're like, change it. So, <laughs> so when, Is it too late texting that engineer? Is it too late to recut right, this track? Right. Yeah. So you're writing music by yourself for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you just found band members. Yeah. So... Where did it come into play where I actually don't want to go out and sing this? I want to just record this and keep it to myself because this is my own precious stuff. Yeah, I think... um, Actually, I would say the band pushed it. Um, I think they were getting out of like... I don't know if they had some originals maybe, but they were doing a lot of covers. In fact, I believe they were doing a lot of Matchbox 20 covers because our bass player still won't let me cover Matchbox 20. Like, just one song. They just don't want to push you around? Yeah, that's exactly that. I was like, I want to play Push. Or even 3 a.m. You know what? Anything. Anything from their like early days, I'll play. Uh, he's, no he smooth? says no. No. I, well, I don't know. I did tr- one time try to see if I could get a Rob Thomas. Because I'm like, see, it's not technically... Um, but the singer of that band, um, The List was the name of that band, and the, he sounded just like Rob Thomas. Really? And so that's what he loved to do. And if I were him, 
That's exactly what I would do. So anyway, Eric, by the time he joined my band, was like, no, I have like one rule, and it's we don't play Matchbox 20 ever again. <laughs> and we have not. Um, so, That's so funny. So, so uh, I think maybe they had done a couple originals, and the band was starting to head that way, and so they really wanted to keep going. And I think, honestly, it was the keyboard player, Steve Mead, who really pushed. He's like, well, send me just some random recordings of what you have. And I really like this. Let's play it. And so he really pushed it. I thought, so we, we had maybe like 12 originals or something, and we were playing covers with it. Um, and I wanted to do, I didn't want to do like all the obvious ones. I didn't want to do like um, like The Middle by Jimmy World. I wanted to do Hear You Me. Sure. Uh, I didn't want to do like uh, Sweet Home Alabama. I, we do like Give Me Three Steps. I always wanted to be like one song off from what people right. like. Uh, but, you know, as, as you start playing anyway, you start being forced to play Brown Eyed Girl and all Wagon the, Wheel and Santeria. And like you play all those songs. Um, but it was really them. And, but I found this sort of unfulfilling. So there came a point where it no longer took the pressure to let's also play your old songs. It was like, let's write new stuff. Like, what do you have that's new that we should sure. do? And so I started doing those. Um, and I actually, so after I finished in 2010, I was looking to record old fashioned love with them. There's a 10 track album. And from that I had a few tracks left over and I had written new stuff. And I said, I'm going to write what I'll now call my Dan Wolf self-titled album. Mm -hmm. And I started recording that. And then the dream city band turned to the muddy crows. And we said, I think dream city band was really more, uh, covers. And one of the reasons we rebranded was we were like, we're going to go originals and we're going to be an original band. So we decided we needed to have an album, but I had already had some of those tracks recorded, and they didn't. I didn't really want to pay to get them re-recorded. We didn't have a lot of money, <laughs> so um, we decided to. I don't know. We said we didn't have a lot of money, but then we went and re-recorded a an album for the Muddy Crows. It's called the Muddy Crows. It's a whole separate series and it's of tracks separate from everything that you've done before. Yeah, and I put everything else. I mean, it was all written by me, but I put all those other songs on hold. I didn't really, and I released the Muddy Crows album in 2014. And then it wasn't until 2018 that I actually finished the Dan Wolf self-titled album, so like eight years. Uh, and since then, um, I did release a few weeks ago uh, another thing called Folkin' Around, which mm-hmm. was the folkier side of things that, I don't want to say they were B-sides, but they didn't make sense in either of those other three projects that I had released. Sure. Um, and But they all fit together. And, and through that process, we became more and more original-focused to the point that we played as a really nice place, uh, out in Flint Hill, Virginia. It's not, not too far from Winchester. Okay. You were talking about Winchester earlier. Um, but they, we played out there, and we love playing out there. The people are pretty receptive. And we, but they were making requests for, like, the brown-eyed girl and the Joker and all those songs. And we play those. We happily play those. But then we took a set break, and when we came back, like, half the bar had cleared out. Wow. Because we were on break. And we thought, well, we played everything you wanted. We were doing all the things you wanted, and right. you, and you left. And we had a conversation out in the parking lot. Um, the drummer and I, and we decided we're going to play originals. Like we'll play some covers to supplement and because we enjoy them, but we're not like playing them for the people anymore. Because if people are just going to leave when we take a set break, they can leave to our music. <laughs> so we, about a year ago, we, we really set our sights on playing. Like we were maybe like, I don't know, 50, 50 at that point sure. in time. Now we are like 75, 25, right, and we're dedi- adding new songs. You're dedicated to clear the room with your own music. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're going to walk out, we'll play your theme music. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's we'll clear it with our own stuff. Um, but I think that's kind of how that migration happened. And I know we've gone back and forth 
where we've tried to add a lot more covers. Like we've played a few weddings. Sure. So then we're really boning up on covers and trying to make sure can we play, <laughs> uh, you know, all these different songs. And and I think that's been good, but it's definitely been for for me. It's always been about composing original music, and for the band, I think they really drove the performing of original music. Sure. So I think one thing that was interesting. So you you said that you didn't really start playing really seriously until about 2009 and then yeah. recorded an album in 2010 of 10 tracks. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually, I think that's pretty impressive. <laughs> it is a quick, it is a quick turnaround. Yeah. I think what happened was, uh, what had happened was <laughs> I was on Craigslist uh-huh. in 2008. I told you that's how all stories start now. And so I was in Craigslist in 2008 and I was living in Ithaca and in uh, Interlaken, New York, there was a studio that was getting started called Big Time Studio, and they were given one hour of time to an artist to come out and try out this new studio. I had never been in a recording studio, and I had one song called One of Those Days that I had written. Mm-hmm. And I went out there, and I played that song, and they they loved it. And people still tap their toes. We still play it now so many years later because people still like it. And no one broke stuff? No one broke stuff. Yeah, it's just one of those days. No. Never mind. It's a bad Limp Bizkit joke. <laughs> uh, so um, we, I played that one song, and they said, would you mind if we played some backing tracks to it? And I said, well, I mean, it's just a, it's a guitar player, and, a, and I whistle, and I sing, that's it. And they're like, well, I'll just try some stuff. And they put some other stuff down. I thought, this sounds really cool. And they said, what we'd like is we'll make you a deal. I don't know what I paid for it. Not a lot. And I really abused them on the, <laughs> on like the editing side of things because this probably I don't know. Anyway, the, I think it was probably like maybe it was two thousand, but I think it was like a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars. Like we will do ten tracks for you. Wow. To get like to get stuff out, and I said, okay, well I, I have one song though. I have one, <laughs> not ten. And they're like, great. You have like a Christmas vacation coming up, right? Sure. <laughs> They're like, well, when you're back in January, let's see what you got. And if you don't have them all written or you just have like whatever, we'll bring in the studio guys. And they basically, it's kind of like a good old boys club. And they just had a bunch of friends sure. come over and hung yeah, out. Yeah. They're like, they'll play. They won't charge you to play. Like, you know, but you'll pretty much have to accept whatever they play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because now they're on your album that way. So that's what it was. And I, I, I mean, I probably did have a few songs that were started. Definitely not that I was playing or that I was ready for. And I powered through and I wrote a whole bunch of them. And that's why... I told you I thought a lot of them were fluff because I didn't have enough ideas. I was yeah, there was nothing flushed out. No, and it just it was a bunch of ideas, and it was like a stream of consciousness that I put out there, and I was like, there it is. And there's a couple songs. Actually, I think the that album was eventually released called One of Those Days, and I think it's been pulled down from everywhere. Okay, because I was like, I don't want people if they Google me to find that, or like they Google that because they want to hear the song and they find the album, and then they judge me based on what's there. So a lot of those songs have been reworked and re-released on either the Muddy Crows album or uh, the Old Fashioned Love album, um, but but it was very good. And it was a, I think that's kind of where I got hooked on the recording and the composition aspect. Sure. Uh, those guys, I probably should just send them some money. <laughs> if I ever get money, I'll send them some money. Well, I think what's funny is when you talk about a band or even an artist, a lot of times their best effort is that first record because they're trying to get out all the stuff they're trying to they're also working probably with five to ten years of material (laughs) right that they've been yeah that they've been playing 
out over and over and they, they just didn't have the money to record it, right? So I think it's interesting. That's a unique experience, I feel, that you're not even a year or two yeah. really into playing seriously and now you're recording a 10 album that's, or a 10 track That's a very album. interesting point. I think... I think that probably speaks to a little bit the, the way that culture is now, or like the way that the like the economics of it are that it, it became like more cheap to record. Yeah, like people could get recorded. Like I think of a perfect example of what you're saying. I love James Taylor, like from the beginning to the end. But like the stuff, the, the early stuff, Fire and Rain, Gone to Carolina, uh, Carolina in my mind. All those songs came off as like first record from Apple Records, mm-hmm. and those are all his hits. I mean, like, he's got other good stuff, but those are the ones that everybody knows him for. And it's probably true that he was gigging around playing for 10 years till, you know, five years, anyway, till he, like, released those things, till he had, like, a record company that would pay enough money that yeah. he could actually record. For me, I had more money than skill, I guess. I mean, even <laughs> as a college student, so I guess that says a lot about my skill. Um, and, and I was able to record before I think I was really ready, but that kind of launched it and then you know i put stuff on myspace and i got some listens and never like a big deal but you got that reinforcement now i feel like you can't pay people to like play your stuff on facebook like here's a link of my video we spent a thousand dollars to release this it's so video and you get seven views right and well it's so saturated now well that's why because everybody can record and everybody can so now whether you're good or not you can release anything you want yeah and we were just talking earlier about there's 10 to 15 different platforms that you're also on yeah. So you look at the major ones where all the people are at are Facebook and still Instagram, all those that are, are still like the biggest one. But if you can get maybe like 10 or 15 plays on Reverb Nation, maybe <laughs> you feel actually validated. Um, but yeah. that that's that's weird. Not weird, but that's a unique situation for you. And then so you're you're talking about that's how that recording bug came into you rather than maybe playing live more. Yeah. Um, so. Are, did you learn recording uh, basically parallel to playing too? Yeah, I had never. I don't think I. I mean, I had like played in front of a computer mic before. I think sure, right? And so you everything was just one, and you made sure your mouth wasn't too close and your guitar wasn't too close. I had never been in a situation where, well, they basically said go through and play the guitar part and then go back and sing and then go back and, do, and like we were layering things. <laughs> I had never considered like harmonizing to my own material. Uh, writing harmonies um and i think you know they they played a lot of cool stuff some of the solos that are on like that original record are still things i try to emulate because that's how i hear the song now it really formed the song in my mind but i i certainly wasn't uh i wasn't pleased with everything and i always had like constructive let's say feedback um (laughs) and and that's where i really became very nitpicky that i really liked being in the studio and saying like okay that bend was good but then you need to go to like these thirds, or like strum up high on the neck and get like real dirty sounding, because now I I don't know they kind of taught me to hear what I wanted to hear, yeah. And, and then I mean I'm not the electric guitar player to play what I want to hear all the time, and I have no idea what to do for drums. Uh, that's why I have a good drummer and a good guitar player. Yeah. Um, but I but they, um, that really helps build out the sound, and. Once I started hearing that and started hearing all the layers and the possibilities, well, then I got, I think a lot of my stuff, I started wanting to get more and more. Let's layer a ton of harmonies, and we'll have strings, and we'll have all Overkill. these. Overkill. Yeah, and now I'm actually at a place 
And I think pop music is at a place where I want to hear less. I want to hear more space in songs. Um, like pop music anymore, it seems like there's like an organ sound, a bass, drums, and like a little skanky guitar that's like... Well, what's... I think what... The and most, one weird sound effect. They always right, have one weird sound The effect. most interesting thing that I've found... One of the most interesting things that I've found by doing this show is talking to a lot of the the recording engineers, talking to a lot of uh, recording studios, and realizing that a pop song has 70 to 75 tracks sometimes. And it's not something that you realize when you're listening to a fully produced song because you're not hearing all the different stuff that's in there. And like to your point, an organ over here, maybe a sound effect over here, just this one guitar lick right there, but you're also spacing that guitar lick out over the course of a yeah. four or four and a half minute song, and you're not, you're only really hearing the the big parts of the song, the big bass, That's true. the drums, the the vocals, right? So it's it's interesting. I, I think that you're you're correct. Where it's going back to kind of a, a more organic sound, yeah. rather than the over the top produced sound. Yeah, and and there's. You know, I think, well, even in those songs where there are obviously a lot of tracks, it's things are used sparingly. It's every, every note is like very intentional. So, uh, I think actually a really good band I think does this is like Vampire Weekend. Uh, all of their stuff, like verse one will have a shaker. Verse two Mm -hmm. will have a tambourine, but no shaker. Everything is used once and then never again. And they layer it, (laughs) they layer it with in like specific places or there's a guitar lick that happens every time there, but that's the only time the guitar happens. Um, and, and they're, I think they're trying to clean things up. Uh, I think I was trying to do, Oh, the electric guitar sounds cool. Okay. The electric guitar plays all the way through. Also the acoustic, also the acoustic capoed high to play in a different key. Also horn section, also keys and organs and other sound effects. And I think now I'm really going to the place where I'm thinking, what more, can I cut? What can I do less right. of so that it, you just, it's, it's a cleaner thing. And, and also I think it's important as I guess, as a singer songwriter, you really want people to focus on, on the vocals. Sure. And so like not playing a guitar solo when there's vocals, uh, fill in the gaps, pick your spots and pick it carefully. That's all. I, I think that's really the direction I'm going. And when I listen to my earlier recorded stuff, um, that's one thing that I hear is that I was trying to do. I feel like I was trying to do too much. Yeah. There's more of a mess and what sounds cool to your point, right? And now it's probably a more deliberate approach. Yeah. Making sure everything fits, making sure it balances, because you actually almost know what you're doing by now. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. In the beginning, I didn't know. So <laughs> I'm like, and I, I don't, it never, it never crossed my mind that, like, don't have the electric guitar play in the verses, only in the chorus, just to accent right. the chorus. And I think that's like the development, but I think a lot of people, Back in the olden days, they they would have got maybe had a little bit more of that maturity, or they worked with producers. I mean, the independent music scene—you don't always have like a producer that's actually done really big things that tell you you're doing too much. <laughs> yeah, you also don't have with when you said that everybody can record now. Literally, I we're recording on a portable four-track input recorder, and that means that anybody that has any kind of just a couple bucks. Go ahead and buy something, record it, and then you don't have anybody telling you, yes, this is good, right. yes, this is bad, 
you have your friends when you put it on the internet and be like, oh yeah, this is so great. Good job. Way to, way to be. And not anybody that's like, there's no apprenticeship. I feel like there's no, there's no, uh, distinct path to a music career. Everybody is literally out for themselves at the moment. It's, it's true. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's very, it's tough to get honest, critical feedback. Um, because most, I feel like most people are uncomfortable giving feedback. I've written stuff where I'm like, I don't know if this is good. So you play it for somebody they're like, oh, that's really awesome. Good job. And you're like, no, no, I need, tell me one thing you didn't like about it. Right. Tell me like, I, and I had a friend who was always, who actually was very helpful, but he's, he'd always start off with, well, I thought the, like the second verse was good. I'm like, no, lead off with the first verse wasn't good. <laughs> the rest of that, I know there are probably some good gems in there, but I want you to cut it apart. Because if you don't, I'm going to release it, and I'm going to spend money to do so, and then no one's going to care. Yeah. Um, but as you mentioned, with the way that everybody's inundated and we're split on a dozen social media sites, it's tough to, it's tough to get people to notice. I don't know that people don't care um, that you release stuff. It might be that, but I think it's also there's just so much going on. Yeah. You're scrolling through your Facebook feed, your Instagram feed, your Twitter, your whatever, your uh, different chat applications. You, we're so inundated that our brains don't have time. I don't have time. I see people that release new music all the time, and I think, I'll have to listen to that when I'm home because I can't listen now in the middle of D.C. And I don't know. I, I don't think we've, as a music scene, I don't think we've figured out how to really get people uh, engaged with the digital stuff. You can't just, I mean, it's what I do, but you can't just send a Spotify link and hope that people will right. listen. Right. Did you... When you first came to D.C. and started the band and, and started recording and started that whole process, did you feel welcome in the, the scene? Because um, I feel like D.C. can be welcoming and then also kind of, hey, you're not really from here sometimes. Um, did you find, because you had other members that have been here for a long time, that it was easier to kind of play out a little bit more? You know, I started going to open mics and I felt like everybody was very receptive um, great. And so, no, I, and I, I would encourage people to do that. Uh, that's also a good place to find critical feedback or to play with other musicians and realize one thing that I had to realize is this part doesn't make sense. Nobody anticipates this change because it shouldn't be there. <laughs> um, you know, you're playing with a drummer, you're playing with like a bass player who's following something along. If, if they can't follow along and they're that good, then that's not a good part of the song. Um, so I think there's a lot, and I, I felt res- well received. Uh, what's the, probably the most interesting thing was it was a little bit tough to break in because people didn't know you, mm-hmm. but also as a solo person, I think as a solo person, they were said, who is Dan Wolf? What, who are you? Where have you played? And I'm like, well, nowhere. I'm trying to get a solo gig. They're like, oh, like if you had a band and people knew you, maybe you could like you try, try to play with other people and see. So then I got a band. And I'd email people and say, hey, I'd like to book my band. And they say, oh, we only do book solo people. <laughs> well, then what did I get a band for? <laughs> this is the worst. So, uh, which actually, maybe something to highlight is, um, I guess the official band name is the Muddy Crows. But I do, we do everything under the banner of Dan Wolf and the Muddy Crows. Okay. And while I do keep things uh, separate, so there's a danwolfmusic.com and there's themuddycrows.com. Uh, the Muddy Crows is focused on the full band arrangements, and the other stuff is whatever I feel like doing. Uh, solo duets, trios. Folking around. Folking around. And that, that I released without the band 
uh, name on it because I didn't think it, it didn't represent really what we do. Um, we play those songs, but I think we play some of them, but we play them very differently. Uh, and these are just how I wanted them. But we, we uh, definitely, I don't know, I, it took a while to get established with a name, and then as soon as I started the band, I lost the fact that I couldn't just book myself, because they're like, well, can we just say that you're the Muddy Crows and not Dan Wolf? Because no one's going to come see a solo guy named Dan Wolf. They want to see the Muddy Crows. So you have to be have a band to be able to play solo and bill yourself as the band. So I said, no, I'm not doing that, and that's why it's like Dan Wolf. Usually you'll see it as like Dan right. Wolf and the Muddy Crows, and that way... I want to book solo. I'm like, I'm Dan Wolf of Dan Wolf and the Muddy Crows. Uh, <laughs> instead of like, I don't know. I think that's interesting. I, I never would have thought about that. Yeah, and maybe maybe it was just getting to know the right people, but I didn't get to know the right people without having a band. Yeah. Um, I just knew other people who were also cutthroat. I mean, trying to find solo gigs. and. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I feel, I feel like the DC music scene, especially in Virginia, there's a lot going on um dc is a bit eclectic they've got some good festivals um i think a lot of the i think a lot of dc has gone to djs um new spots pop up all the time that are having bands but a lot of the places that we used to play uh they're a little more focused on djs um or they have a 90s cover band which like i respect it and i want to sing along too but uh, i do think that that his that's given a hit to all the original bands in the area when they're like oh you don't do three hours of only 90s covers <laughs> then we don't want you here at our party rock venue uh, and i think I, you know i told the story earlier that we started playing a lot more originals and what i found is people actually i wasn't giving people enough credit uh i know like johnny grave and i think justin trawick at different times like other uh, soloish guys mm-hmm. in the dc scene have basically said always play your own stuff Justin weaves in covers and makes them his own, but like they were really pushing the original thing. And I thought, people don't know me. They don't want to hear it. I don't think that's true. We started playing at a place called Solly's. Yeah. Uh, it's on U Street. And people are so excited to hear music they haven't heard before. They're jumping down, up and down, like you're dancing around. I feel like that floor is going to cave in every time. <laughs> it's terrifying. And and so I I do think that DC does have an appetite for live music, for original music, um, I think I don't know that the, we as a system have figured out how to m- maximize it because so so often you find a bar that just wants to put you in the corner, sure, and they have a band once a month or once every couple weeks, and sometimes it's Friday and sometimes it's Saturday, and sometimes you get get canceled on because there's a game, and sometimes it's not the main attraction, either, and it's right? it's not, and so then you have. Now, now you're not the main attraction. You're secondary. You're playing right in front of a giant TV, <laughs> uh, and and I, I don't think I, I, I don't think that those venues are necessarily doing the most justice to the bands or taking full advantage of what the bands have to offer. Instead, I think unfortunately there's this model where bands are being used not actually for their musical ability or anything other than uh, as promoters for the venue. Right. They are, how many people can you bring? They don't ask, are you guys good? They don't ask what songs you play. It's, how many people are you going to bring? And I understand there's a bottom line. I understand there's a business market. But I think for a place to establish themselves as a live music venue and really get the benefit of what artists such as myself and the Muddy Crows and those other guys, what we provide, you need to establish yourself as a live music venue where people want to 
people know, hey, if we go to Solly's on Friday and Saturday, they always have good bands. Right. You want to be that thing. You don't want to randomly have a band at a bar. We appreciate your money. Thank you for paying us for being there. <laughs> but once in a while is not going to save, uh, is not going to change what's happening at that venue. Um, I think Virginia does a good job. I think DC has those things for a lot of times for DJs and for um, 90s cover bands. It's Maryland that I really want to see uh, more in. And, and you said you're down like near La Plata, mm-hmm. you're farther south. We've played a lot of shows down there, and we are very well received. And we're very well received in Pennsylvania, even, like rural Pennsylvania. But in this area of Maryland, Silver Spring to Germantown, um, until you get to Frederick, I don't. there's not a lot of places that are pushing live music and what I would say is doing it right with making it a regular thing and establishing themselves as part of the scene. Um, Frederick's kind of its own oasis. It is. And it's, it's interesting because you look around and like Bethesda has villain and saint. Um, so there are little pockets, right? And then silver spring, you would think there would be more because the Fillmore is here. Yeah. But there's just not like the, it's it's so weird. I think to your point, yeah, it's so weird that Maryland is so dry until you get even further north. Yeah, um, and there's really nothing on the Beltway for people mm. to find good local music that is promotable, that is sure. getting people out and the whole nine in there. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, all around the Beltway. From I mean, I don't even. I used to work at New Carrollton, so I know where that's at. I don't really know what the next, like, Branch Avenue, I guess. But, yeah. like, that whole, starting there, New Carrollton, that side, all the way around, until you get to Tyson's, maybe, there's yeah. there's not a lot. Um, Bethesda does have a few things. They do have Villain and Saint. I know Caddy's plays live music uh, pretty regularly. Um, and I think that, but they, they are... Again, looking for a party rock, I think a specific right. thing that we don't fit. But there isn't, and there, there's not a lot. And then no. you, even if you go through Rockville, you can play like the World of Beers, um, and they have some festivals. But yeah, no place that really establishes themselves as a like the underground. Like I, I think that's what I think Solly's is. It's kind of like a dive bar that has music. Yeah, and they're like I think they have a thing, and people like that vibe, and I think it would do well here. Um, but I. You know, I guess no one's. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the finances aren't there, and maybe from the business standpoint, it is all about who you can bring in. But I think if you, as a bar, are trying to establish yourself as a music venue, and you're talking about how many people can this bar, these band bring versus how good they are, I think a band's real draw is how many people they keep around to drink more. Yeah. Can you can you make them dance and get them thirsty? Right. It's the um, chicken or the egg. Yeah. You know what comes first? Is it the the good band that people will eventually hear about? And they'll work. I think the biggest thing that a venue can do is look at how hard that band is promoting. Mm-hmm. So if you book a band and they're just there for a paycheck rather than they're there to promote their music as much as possible, they're there to promote the show as much as possible, yep. they're going hard 110%, and then you can maybe build off of that. If you're just booking a band just to fill a slot and you don't see anything from their end too, mm-hmm. it's it's the the whole symbiotic relationship just goes out the window. It, it certainly does, and I, I mean I know that we feel it though too. When we look at when we go to a venue, first of all, if I I mean I don't know, I would like to think this, but if I were managing a place that had live music, I would be promoting it too. 
It benefits yeah. me. It benefits the band. Uh, so many places, you'll never see anything from them. It's not on the website. It's not anywhere. So people don't know they have live music at all. And then when if, if they do, they have a flyer that's printed out with your name spelled wrong on the door, <laughs> like on the bathroom door. And uh, what promotion is that for me? Right. Um, so, so there's already not that symbiosis that you mentioned. There's already there's like a disconnect. And so I think I think a lot of times venues, not not the more legitimate ones certainly, but a lot of you know bars and restaurants that do it, they have somebody that books part time. They're like the night shift manager or something, and they like they book part time, and they're just doing what they're told. And I don't think they're really passionate about seeing that music scene grow there. And so they don't. Yeah. they're not actually they're not actually seeking that they're like they're checking a box there's no one to curate it yeah and i think that's that's kind of the the bigger picture there's no one really to curate uh, a scene there's no one to curate a show there's no one to really curate an experience for people and it's a side uh a side thought it's an afterthought yeah. it's oh we need a well, band so booking stuff how do you fix it um you start with a good diy scene and start going and figuring out where you can actually play and where the people are going to go to. And you have a few people. Bands don't do a good enough job reaching out to other bands, I feel like, to get good shows. And it's it's very difficult to not have one person or two people that are booking just the show. So... When what I mean by that is they're looking at a whole experience. They're looking at, I I'm looking at a lineup. These bands will fit well with these bands, and you'll see this in bigger venues that are dedicated just to live music, right? You'll see this at the Fillmore. You'll see this at 9:30. You'll see this at you know sure. bigger established places. But if you don't have like the little guy that's there to curate a three band show at at a bar. And instead, the bar is looking for a three-hour, one-band, do-it-all. Yeah. That's it. That's where it gets really iffy and really kind of like no one is on the same page. No one's able to look at the music. I think to your point earlier, no one is looking to the crowd and giving them enough credit to say, yes, yeah. they will like good music. They will stay here. They will... They will embrace something new because they hear the top 40 all the time. Mm-hmm. If all you're thinking of is just doing background music, just buy a jukebox. Right. If you're going to have live music, invest in live music, pretend like you actually care about it. And I think one of the things that's actually missing is that middleman between the bars and the bands and having booking agencies that aren't just for actual touring but are local, that are dedicated to a local bar scene, a local venue scene. Yeah. And I think that's probably the the next thing that should happen. Um, yeah, well, and there certainly are people that do that. I mean, I work with a number of them, and I don't mean to call them out. Some some do some do a really good job. Others uh, maybe are, are solely the booking thing. But I think it would help. I think it would help them if they were invested in that like promotion aspect too. Yeah. Um, and trying to curate what they want to see from the scene because presumably down the line they'll get more bookings at different places. And, and I, think, I think that would be great to see. But yeah, so many times it seems like the bar, which may employ 
a separate booking agent or maybe a part of the bar or whatever, they're all it's kind of a set and forget and there's an absent mindedness to it. And then the bands feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly guilty of it too. I, you know, send off a cheap Instagram post and be like, that's good enough. Um, it's also tough. You know, that's the other thing is we, the, you know, myself and the trio and the muddy crows, we've stayed pretty busy, but we, we have a hard time getting into some of those other venues to sell tickets because, if we're playing five shows in DC this month for free, now we're going to tell people spend twenty bucks and you know come to DC nine or come to. I can't. It, it makes it hard for us to like really sell those things. So we end up just playing all those. Like I think I'm. We're playing into it too. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. We're, so we're not doing that. We're not actually building up the scene. Instead, we're playing all these bars for a paycheck and we're doing this thing. Um, and I think for us, we really do it. I mean, I really enjoy the festival scene, um, and the rest okay. of it. I don't. I don't want anyone leaving here thinking that I only see band gig, bar gigs as paid practice, but certainly there's an aspect of it where like we're gonna try out some stuff <laughs> very early on. We'll call it a sound check, but these are some of our. We're gonna try to get tight so that when we play these festivals, right. when we're playing the Cherry Blossom Festival from the big stage, we're playing uh, DC Barbecue Battle, where we feel like you know we know how crowd, the crowd's gonna react to these songs and we know how these songs are gonna go. And well, know, I think nice. so. A bigger picture for bands is oversaturation of their own market, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's what you were talking about. Five yep. shows in DC and then try to get people to pay the 20 bucks for it, right? So you have to figure out what you're actually trying to accomplish as a band and I think that's a harder thing to do and look at it as a bigger picture of what you want. So do sure. you want to be an original band? Okay, if you want to be an original band, you need to probably not play four or five times in one place and actually spread out your yeah. reach a little bit. But that's very difficult because you're looking at, A, money, right? You want to be able to pay your people. Sure. You want to be able to do that. Uh, be the time investment in it. So what you were talking about as far as being busy, I think people are also inherently lazy, and it's one of the, the things about this whole podcast that I'm doing is I'm inherently lazy. All I want to do <laughs> is lay in bed and do nothing. And being motivated and staying motivated, I think, is very difficult. Mm-hmm. And when you look at, okay, so I've put in all this work into this one show and two people showed up. That's so disheartening as a band playing it, as a booker putting it together as a promoter trying to bring everything oh, like yeah. that's that's so disheartening so to break through that wall and to continue to do it is one commendable but two when you're consistently doing it and now you're like okay now I know I need to schedule my life out or I need to schedule these posts I'm looking I I went the past four or five days looking for like a social media marketing company to just take over everything that I'm doing yeah. because all I want to do is just this. And <laughs> I, I, to your point, like, yeah, I hope the Instagram post will work. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> and you might even get a hundred likes cause it's a cool picture. Yeah. But it's like people all around the world. It's not people that were right, like walking right. down U street and are coming to Solly's. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's disheartening. And uh, it's something that I, I struggle with is, is just, Getting to that point where I'm just like, okay. Yeah, but how, I mean, honestly, how do you do it? Because I mean, obviously just like a fire and forget Instagram post isn't enough, but we used to do 
Facebook invites for every one of our things. And like those don't work. And like leading up to the show, we'd post videos yeah. and stuff. And like, hey, this we got a new song we're playing tonight, whatever. And and people might even say they're coming, and it would look good to the venue, like they've got fifty people coming, but they didn't show up. I can't tell you how many times that I've picked interested on an event rather than yeah. going because I don't know if I'm actually going. No, I'm definitely not going. I'm interested. <laughs> like I would be interested if I didn't want to stay at home. <laughs> that's that's got that is be my a, number two option. Yeah, I think that's the the going and not going should be the only choices. Yeah, interested just means that you're hurting someone's feelings. It's basically like liking the event. <laughs> yes. It's like you didn't comment, you didn't really care enough, you're not engaged, but like you approve of this content on Facebook. I like you guys. I'll, I'll, I'm interested <laughs> in whatever I mean, you're I doing. I do the same thing for people. Yeah. Because I do feel like, for me, I'm like, this is basically telling you I wish that I wanted to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for you, what do you think that you've found the most about whether it's promotion, whether it's keeping the band going... Has there been anything that keeps you motivated to keep pursuing music and keep playing live and recording music? Yeah. Actually, I have for both sides of that story. So we played... Uh, this is actually going to be a sort of a sad story for a second, but... Well, we played the uh, Herndon Festival. Okay. The reason it's sad is because right after us, Vertical Horizon played, which is <laughs> awesome, like you would think. You, that sounds cool. Except for Vertical Horizon who I loved as a kid, played to an empty parking lot in Herndon. Mm. And it was, it's sad to see, I'm like, well, there were more people at our side, <laughs> at our stage. Um, I mean, it was, it did start to drizzle for them, so like there's mitigating circumstances, but still, that was, it was very sad to see that like a band that was of that popularity uh, And they're probably be. the ones that are also getting paid and marquee advertising and... Oh, yeah. And now it's just, we've heard, we've heard that, oh, I forget what the song is. Oh, now I feel bad. I have it in my head. I forget the name of it. It doesn't matter. But they, they had that one song that was popular. and that They did have that one song. Yeah, and they've rode the coattails of that. Is it, which one is in your head? Is it Gray Sky Morning? Which no. Which is a little slower. Okay, well, that was good. They, they covered it on country radio. It was so good. Uh, and then there's, um, is, I don't know if it's called You're a God. No. Uh, that's the other one that's one man i don't know it doesn't matter this is a great this is a great fodder for the podcast maybe you can edit it in later probably not okay um i'm not paying royalties please call in and tell us the name of the song our number is five 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 it's not oh that's gonna bother me i'm gonna have to look it up all right uh Anyway, let's go back to the, the... Yeah, what was I saying? Yeah. While you're looking this up, I'll, I'll finish the story. So um, after the show, uh, Dad brings up three of his kids, and he was like, hey, I just wanted you to say that like we really enjoyed the show. And I was like, okay, yeah, thank you, kid. Yeah, whatever. And there were like seven. I'm like, they probably just thought it was cool for right. a band. And he was like, he's like, I enjoyed it so much. He bought a CD. Like I handed it to him off stage. He bought a CD there. And he said, but no, I really want to tell you because my little one looked up and said... Dad, is this rock and roll? <laughs> and I was like, well, technically we call it Americana now. Right. Um, no. <laughs> but like, uh, he said, it's just so good to see um, people making original music in D.C. It's such a rare thing. Yeah. And, you know, the truth is that meant everything. And then, then I think, well, it did. But 
I still had to buy my own hot dog. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, you know, it was okay. But no, I mean, I do think that that it matters a lot. Like people saying things like that, uh, that sort of, it keeps it going, certainly from a performance aspect. Um, was it everything you want? She's everything you want. <laughs> they played that. That's the one they played. That's the one when I walked by. And then I went in the parking garage and I watched them from behind the stage because it wasn't raining there. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's that's the one. Because I, I was just thinking about the music video for it. and Because I just remember him being bald and he had like a dumb goatee. He still is bald and still, still has a dumb goatee. Uh, uh. Sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, but that's that's so funny. So you still have to buy your own hot dog, which is probably the... The existence of every musician that's out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that hot dog costs uh, 100,000 Spotify plays. <laughs> um, or 11 exposures. <laughs> or 11 exposures. Oh, that's, that's good. They're like, would you like $250 or free exposure? So do you think that when you see a crowd, even if it's five to ten people or it's a hundred to two hundred people just as long as they're expressing the fact that they actually like your music does that mean more to you than just playing to thousands and thousands of people you know i think i would like to take the chance to play to thousands, and thousands. <laughs> we did play one time at the atlantern fest outside of philly and there were like eleven thousand people mm-hmm. that's an impressive view um I wouldn't say that they were engaged with us so much. We were right. we were on the act like they were. I don't know having cookouts and doing things, but we did play to that many people. Uh, I don't know how many likes or follows or whatever we got out of that. Not probably a lot because they probably thought we were saying the money crows. <laughs> uh, I always say now I say we're the muddy crows, like dirty birds, just dirtier and birdier. Right, the muddy crows. Um, but but yeah, I think I think I would definitely like to play to more people. I'd probably do that even if I didn't get paid just a couple times to see if you can get, like, maybe you catch a few people that are really interested. Yeah. And those people help be, like, your brand ambassadors, like, sharing with their friends and saying, yo, check out these guys. Um, it, I think, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a trade-off. I, I really do like Sollies. I keep using that as an example because you see people dancing and trying to drunk sing along with your songs. <laughs> And I want to take a break and be like, I'm going to break it down right now where I tell you, you don't know this song and those are not the right words. Um, because they, they certainly try, but it's flattering that they try because you can tell they like it because they want to sing. Right. Um, the problem is the next morning when they sober up, they don't know. They who don't we were. remember who we were. Yeah. Like, who are those money Russell Crowe guys? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's, it's tough to, to necessarily get that. But no, I, I think definitely hearing from people. Um, and hearing from kids that are like excited about your music, um, that that's certainly meaningful. You'd ask like from a recording aspect, what keeps it going? Certainly not the Spotify play count. <laughs> I actually looked recently. It's a thousand. It, like, let's say it takes a thousand dollars to get to record a song and do it right and put it out, and you get six tenths of a cent for every play. Do you know how many plays that is? It's, I forget what it was. It's it's a lot. It's, it's and like, it just hurts. Like a hundred and fifty thousand plays yeah, or something. Yeah. To pay for the song? That's, that's not even the marketing behind it. That's not the the graphics behind it. That's not the oh, website. Yeah, yeah. That's not Yeah, anything. that's not the upkeep. Yeah. That's just so you do have to play those gigs for money and you just do it and you mm. you know, and some sometimes you you get to play a, a gig which is good for the soul and other times not. But to me, um I don't know I don't know where songs come from. I don't think that 
I don't know that I really come up with them. I feel like there's like an earworm that happens from something that I've never heard before and the music kind of falls together and I stream of consciousness it and I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what it's about. Sometimes it doesn't make sense at all and I have to go back and fix it and I make it say something. And ultimately when I look back, I think, I do almost always think, I now know what that song was about. <laughs> uh, at the time when I was writing it, I didn't know. These were just like words that were in my head and it was like, it was like emotions that I put on the page. And later when you read back, you're like, oh, that's kind of cool that I was thinking about that. Um, but you don't always get it. But I, I love that, uh, that stroke of inspiration where you like you hear like a riff in your head and then you're like, I could sing this line over it and that would sound really cool. Right. And then the song comes out of it. That I love. Um, and that's, you know, that's a thing that whether you're a touring musician or a studio musician or whether you're just somebody that plays guitar on, in your bedroom by yourself – um, to your dog, mm-hmm. uh, that that you uh, you can still feel that that same joy, and I guess that's I think the beauty of, of music for me is that it's still valuable. I think to me, even if nobody hears it. That said, go listen to all my music, <laughs> uh, and don't just stream. Buy it, please. There you go. CD baby, every, all the places. Look for Dan Wolf. Thank uh, you. That's a so it's a good thing to be that's a, a good place to stop at but um do you ever see yourself not playing music I I don't see myself um not playing music I can see a time when I won't be performing 100 shows okay. a year or I won't be performing 10 shows a year um I think that that will probably happen in the next couple of years as you grow up and you get different responsibilities and I can't just drive all over the place. I, I think that time is coming. Um, but I would like, who knows, maybe I'll end up having kids and I'll mm-hmm. like get internet famous for like a, you know, doing like the da- daughter, daddy, daddy, daughter duets or sure. something. And yeah. So my kids better be musically talented. So I <laughs> can finally get some ma- get, uh, validation. Cause, yeah. Cause right now YouTube has demonetized me. They say I don't have enough followers. Really? Yeah, you now have to have like a thousand followers and enough like it's like twenty four hours of listen time in the oh, last month God. and like all these things. So they've demonetized me. Yet they still, I uploaded a video of us performing a song live and they still uh, gave me a copyright infringement for my own stuff. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't even for your own song. I didn't even monetize it. They said it's a copyright infringement and it's so this kind of makes sense, I guess. They say it's held by CD Baby. Right, because they distributed it. Right, but they wouldn't let me post the video, so I had to object. I had to uh, file a complaint, like That's a copyright. So funny. And they they said this will be decided within thirty days. It has been forty five days. <laughs> I think it is visible, but it says like under dispute underneath it. Like, sure. Yeah. Like I don't want my video saying under dispute. I just want to be able to post. This is a live. This is a live video of my own song. That is so but funny. CD Baby's like, nope, you can't do that. So, um, I don't know. Maybe someday I can do that sort of a thing. Uh, but I certainly see a time when... Um, is that something that you dread else? or embrace? Uh, I think... I think I've accepted it. I think it will be... There's like a there's a high to it. There's like a... There's an ego thing, certainly. And there's, there's a high to it. And I, I think I'm going to have to find a way to replicate that... Um, 
in you know in a legal way <laughs> <laughs> to get that like music high that euphoria um of playing and performing and singing and um i think that's probably what i will miss as long as i can continue composing i think the music aspect is still going to be there um but yeah i mean it, it will definitely be a, a sad day but i think i've accepted that there's a time when that happens even paul simon stopped touring so right yeah cool i think that's it man all right well thank you for having me man <laughs>